This week's major spoilers podcast goes out to Saul Hogarth, which I think is the fifth wave of the Cthulhu mythos. There's the Yogg-Sagoth, and then there's like uh, Alanis Morissette. And in any case, this one goes out to you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue... 875 pounds of nerds seek gainful employment in geekery, inquire within, must love ukulele, Scottish accents, and 4E. Plus, we got more trailers than Hazard County, more orchestration than five years of WWE programming, and only half the calories of your regular podcast. Brilliance like this, dear friends, is 93% perspiration, 6% electricity, 4% evaporation, and 2% butterscotch ripple. We partying, partying. Yeah. yeah, but please be aware that the management is not responsible for injuries due to fire, flood, frost, or frippery. Baba Booey, Baba Booey, the major spoilers podcast is kicking skulls coast to coast. If you smell what the cobra is biting. Welcome to another issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you could be Yay! with us today, to or tonight, or tomorrow, tomorrow, or the next day, depending on when you're listening. On Look, Friday, Friday. There you go. Thank you, Rodrigo. So party much to get through party today. And, yeah! <laughs> Matthew has just discovered the magic of Rebecca Black. Oh, it's been stuck in my head all week long. <laughs> And the problem is I've I've only heard the original once and I've heard the Chad Vader version twice so it kind of all blurs together and then somehow in the middle it turns into another song in in all together I'm like party and party and yeah and it turns into like a black eyed peas song for like half a verse and by the time I'm done it's just yelling like, that is the sad. horror that is the inside of Matthew's brain hey yeah, everyone we've got we do monsters. have a lot of stuff to get through today uh, so let's start off with some news. A lot of news items this week, some very interesting items. Titan Comics announces a Family Guy comic book series. The Governator trailer arrives. New Green Lantern footage comes out of WonderCon. So does, uh, so does a Thundercats trailer. Steve so Rogers is Captain America. Again. Okay. And oh my gosh, breaking news. The Hardy Boys are breaking up. <gasps> oh my I know. God. I always I thought like, they were siblings. <laughs> they are. Oh, that's what makes oh, us no. even more tragic. Let's, I misread that story. Let's spin that wheel of destiny. I, I always thought that Matt had about. real world title potential. Hey, too. Lee Parker, Stephen <sighs> Malone. And it's slowing to a stop there on number one. Titan Comics launches a Family Guy comic book series. It was announced, Titan Books, now this is a company out of the UK, has announced that they have a, um, a U.S. version, getting ready to release in the U.S. Um, they've teamed up with 20th Century Fox to announce the Family Guy comic book series based on the TV show. And it will follow the Griffin family in a string of brand new outrageous storylines. <laughs> Along with fellow Quahog residents, Cleveland Brown, Joe Swanson, and everyone's favorite ladies man, Glenn Gliggity Quagmire. Giggity. Giggity. I'm pretty sure that Cleveland moved to Stoolbend, Virginia. 
Ah, but it doesn't matter. This is comic books. Artwork by this series is from S.L. Gallant, who does the G.I. Joe and Torchwood stuff, and Anthony Williams, who does Judge Dredd, Superman, and Batman. Family Guy number one arrives on U.S. stands in specialty comic book stores beginning July 27th, (laughs) 2011. Yeah. And this news will turn the comic industry upside down, face. (laughs) (laughs) Rodrigo, go. Well, I mean, it could be interesting because really, you know, it seems today that all you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. Yeah. Where are Um, those good old fashioned values, Rodrigo? I don't know. Clearly not in this comic. You know. I'm a big fan of Futurama, for example, but I always found the Futurama comics to be somewhat lacking. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the Simpsons comic has... uh, Stood um, the test of time? Alternately, no, I think the... I think the Simpsons comic is 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 a great example of a parasitic property. Like the the show has been so popular that it's like single handedly maintained the comic for this long. I don't know. I don't remember a a tree grows around a bigger tree. (laughs) Exactly. I don't. I don't ever remember reading anything on a Simpsons comic that I thought was uh, any good. But you know, I could have. I could have missed the seven or. 32 or 96 issues where it was actually good. The radioactive man stories were excellent. Did you hear that Bongo comics? No need to send anything our way. Not that you were ever doing it in the first place, but this cements the decision never to send us anything. Yes, that's right. Uh, The funny (laughs) thing is, is now Bongo comics probably knows who we are. It's like after that, they're like, wait, those guys don't like us. Who the hell are those guys? And then their uh, assistant leans over and says, well, you do know that they're right. Oh, crap. God dang it. Yeah. Matthew, what does this mean in the uh, terms oh. of adaptations? I mean, uh, we've had well, Lucille going... Ball comic books. We've had <laughs> Martin and Lewis comic books. We've had Flintstones and Bugs Bunny comic books. And now yeah. Family Guy comic books. Well, I'm going to do something I like to call the compliment sandwich, where I'm going to say something good, then talk about where the idea needs improvement, and then end with something good. So first off, I think that the idea has merit. I think Family Guy... Of, of all the properties we've mentioned has the legs to work as a comic because their status quo is pretty much elastic. The world ended. Everybody died. It's still in, in, it's in their continuity. They've actually referred to when the world ended, but they go on as though nothing happened. And, you know, you'll refer to the moment where Brian talks about his son and Stewie's like, wait, how can you have a 13-year-old son if you're only six years old? He's like, those are dog years. And Stewie's like, that doesn't make sense. And Brian's like, if you don't like it, go on the internet and complain. <laughs> the fact, you know, the fact that the book is, or the, the show is so metatextual, so referential, and honestly, in TV form, plays on the tropes of TV, means that you could, in theory, do this as a comic book about TV and movies and comic books as Family Guy. Now, the second problem is so much of this show is character vocally driven. Right, right. That was my... You know, Quagmire Quagmire lines aren't funny unless they're in the Quagmire voice. And Peter's lines aren't inherently funny. And Lois is never funny. The only thing that's (laughs) funny about Lois is when when they let Alex put in something, they're like, where'd you go all day, Lois? I don't know. Meth is a hell of a drug. But that is all Alex Borstein. So I'm worried that much of the appeal of the show is going to be lost without the vocal 
sort of thing. And then, of course, to close up, uh, you have smelly dog farts. But I think that it could work depending on, A, can they draw them on method? Can they draw them on model to where I look at it and go, that's clearly Quagmire and not an 18-year-old trying to draw like someone drawing Quagmire? Well, I and think the artists if, here have a, have a track record. G.I. Joe, yeah. Torchwood, Batman, Superman. Yeah, but it's being like able to draw a comic book with Superman in it is not the same as being able to draw a fat guy from Kohan. True, but it's not like they're hiring Rob Granito to do this, so. Oh, snap. Rob Granito could probably do it on model. <laughs> <laughs> he'd just photocopy he'd it from the internet. <laughs> and then he'd put his own matter, just, uh, just get Greg Land to do it, so there you go. There you go, or Rob Liefeld. It'll well, you know, fine. going it's back not, to the voices, I think. somebody named Rob. You know, going back to the voices, I, I think that's the series has been around long enough. What, 11 years now, 10 years now, um, that people have those voices ingrained in their head, whether it's Stewie or Brian or or Peter ha, or Joe. whoever. But when you're reading that book, do you ever hear those voices? I mean, do you ever hear voices of of characters that have been in another medium at all? I mean, well, when I you mean, read The Shadow, do you hear Orson Welles? Alec Baldwin. Yes. <laughs> um, Lemon. <laughs> um, I do hear Alec Baldwin in the shadow, but as the Glen Gary, Glenn Ross guy, coffee is for closers. <laughs> you are an effing loser. <laughs> oh boy. Anything else? So with, this is a, uh, you're interested in seeing it. Who's interested in reading this? Matthew, are you interested in checking it out? I'm interested in reading it. I'm not pull list sold based on this announcement. Matt, uh, Rodrigo. <laughs> the other Matthew. Yes, the other Matthew. <laughs> Matthew, I don't care for it. Matthew, yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and we'll call you Mateo to keep it clear. Um, Get me his non-union I, Mexican equivalent. <laughs> yeah, I am curious about it, but that's about it. I don't think I'm interested at all in this. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Family Guy anyway. Uh, How yeah. dare you, sir? No, no, I mean, it's funny because, you know, the very first episode when he's like, I didn't fought until I was like 30 years old. And you see him sitting in the chair and you hear him go, and he's like, what the hell was that? Still has yeah. me rolling on the floor, you know, 10 years later. So, yeah, fart humor. We're playing house. Well, that kid's all tied up. Yeah, it's Roman Polanski's house. <laughs> I mean, there's funny moments, but it's just not something that I... Uh, dive in front of the TV to watch. So I'm probably, I don't buy the Futurama comics. I don't buy the Simpsons comics. I certainly don't buy the Lucille Ball or the uh, Tom and Jerry comics. So probably won't. You totally should. The Tom and Jerry comics are wonderful. And some of the old Charlton adaptations were so far away from what they were supposed to be that they were actually more fun. If you read a Charlton <laughs> Flintstones comic, it's nothing like the Flintstones, but you're just like, these people were high. I like this. <laughs> A local right. family is forced out of their home by ghosts. Who are they going to call? Ghostbusters? No, that's stupid. Their insurance company. <laughs> All right, everybody. Up you next. can head over to Majorspoilers.com, and you can check out this story for yourself. Follow the, the link. You can also check out all of those other stories, including, and I, I say shield your eyes if you, uh, if you decide to check out that Governator trailer. Not good. Not good. Make sure you have a four candy so you can jack Get to the chopper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also head over to the site, check out a retro review of the Brave and the Bold number 181 from 1981. 181 uh, from 81. And of course, uh, 
Maybe we can check out the website later this week to see if there's any reviews of Brightest Day, which features the return of Swamp Thing. Maybe. That's who I've heard. Swampy T is back, bitches. Yeah. Okay, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will get into some reviews. How to get a major spoilers shout out. If you want to get a personalized shout out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one, visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the make a donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. I want to thank everyone who's made a contribution to the Major Spoilers podcast or the Major Spoilers cause or anything Major Spoilers related, including Critical Hit. Now, I want to let everyone know, we've been uh, asked about this in the past couple of months. People going, well, you know what? I love making one-time donations, but wouldn't it be so much easier if you guys instigated a recurring donation to where every month I could say I want to contribute X amount of dollars, and then every month that money is automatically deducted from my account. I don't have to worry about sending the money directly to you guys, and you guys benefit in the long run. And so finally, I had a few free moments, said, okay, sure, let's do that. So we do now have recurring donations. You can call it a subscription if you wanted. Uh, over at Majorspoilers.com. There are a couple of ways that you can donate to Major Spoilers. You can make a one-time donation of any amount of money that you want. You know, $2, $100, somebody donated $1,000 a while ago. It's all good, good times. If you want to go the recurring route, there are three levels that you could do there. You could do $2 a month, every month, $2. That's, you know, less, Matthew, less than the price of a comic book. DC says, hold the line at $2.99. Heck, we're 99 cents cheaper. All the free hours of entertainment that major spoilers bring you for $2 a month. Or if you'd like, you could do the $5 a month recurring. Or if you are a super fan, the $10 a month recurring. Now, I'm hoping that everybody just does the $2 a month recurring. In fact... I'm going to put the challenge. I want everybody who listens to the Major Spoilers podcast and the Critical Hit podcast to get on that $2 a month recurring donation. If we can get 100% a day. If we can get 100% contribution or 100% buy-in on that $2 a month recurring, man oh man, could we do some very cool things. And damage. you know, I don't know about you Matthew, but I I'm sure you don't want to be working for a call center the rest of your life and I know Rodrigo doesn't want to be working for PBS. I definitely do not want to work for a call center for the rest of my life. I was just going and to let I you know we're hiring work. bilingual reps at seven fifty an hour. I get that. Actually, every once in a while, my other friends work at a call center. They're like, so how much do you like your job at PBS? I'm like, why? Because they're going to pay somebody twice what they pay us to do this in Spanish. <laughs> Listen, let's not make that happen, listeners. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. Click on one of those recurring payments. And help out the cause. That's what all we want. We want want to quit our day jobs. We want to quit our regular jobs and focus on major spoilers full time. And can you imagine what (laughs) Rodrigo and Matthew and I could crank out on a daily basis if we didn't have to worry about bosses breathing down our neck? TPS. I know, man. PBS would be like a a meth lab of awesome only without the meth. Could you imagine all the reviews that we could kick out on a daily basis? Oh, speaking of reviews, it's time for reviews. Twelve. Twelve reviews. No, we don't have twelve reviews this week. We have three reviews this week. 
One beautiful review. Ah, ah, ah. One beautiful review. Well, Matthew, let's see if we can make that happen with Secret Avengers number 11 from Marvel Comics. Well, I, you know, they say don't get the rent. I will say this. <laughs> the Marvel Universe is a pretty awesome place to be right now if you love every single person in it. Every Squirrel single girl. person who's ever been in it. Yes, and that's what we're doing right now. That one guy Secret who Avengers the number 11. There are four Avengers titles right now. There's New Avengers, which is essentially the Defenders. There's Avengers Academy, which is essentially the New Warriors. There's the regular Avengers, which is essentially awful. And then there's the Secret Avengers, which is kind of like, I don't know what you'd want to call it. It's like a Black Ops proactive super team that they've tried to do many times. Sort of like Avengers Youngblood. Shield. X-Force, yeah. Not 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 like Shield? Shield? Okay. No, except for the fact that Captain America is in it and he does have a shield. Ah, okay. Hey, you know, Steve, the former uh, Captain America. Steve Rogers is going to be Captain America again beginning in July. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that somebody else won't be also. See, Captain America Incorporated is kicking off in July. I, I he's going to be doing too. Captain Italy Captain and Captain Incorporated. I can't wait for Captain <laughs> uh, Newfoundland myself. <laughs> Captain, Captain Djibouti. <laughs> Captain Liechtenstein, the capital of Djibouti, by the way, is Djibouti. (laughs) Anyway. The Captain America Initiative, 52 different Captain Americas from 52 states. Yes. A couple of years ago, Ed Brubaker, who wrote everything in the Marvel Universe that wasn't written by Brian Bendis, did a book called The Marvel's Project. Mm -hmm. And if, if you read The Marvel's Project, it took a bunch of lost Marvel superhumans from the, you know, the golden age of comics, and it brought them back and tied them all together, basically kind of around the origin of the Human Torch. One of them was a minor character called John Steele. John Steele, which honestly sounds like a porn star to me, but I have that kind of brain. And this issue is takes place after John Steele has gone evil, worked for the Evil Shadow Council, and been captured by Captain America and his Secret Avengers. And to try and figure out what John Steele knows... Big John. Anyway, the Beast comes up with this device that reads his memory. Okay. Now his memory is all screwed up and he's missing bits. So they find a point in John Steele's memory where he met up with and was on a mission with Steve Rogers. So they plug Steve Rogers in the other side of the memory machine and the two of them put their memories together to tell a story of something that happened in the 40s. Maybe during it's World War II? Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's a pretty cool framing there, There's and not a World War II-based Captain America coming up around the corner, is there? I don't know. Is there? Yes, yes, there is. To, All right. to be fair, Captain America spends a lot of time thinking about mm. World War II. Oh, yes. I he know. really is. Captain America is basically World War II in tights. But <laughs> we see this mission take place. The art, the interior art, is by uh, Will Conrad. And Conrad kind of reminds me of Mike Deodato, who did uh, Dark Avengers. Yeah. But he he has kind of a stronger line, and he's less, uh, for me anyway, it looks like he's less uh, dependent on photo reference. So I really like Conrad's work here. I like what happens in the story. Captain America and John Steele are in action together. And Steele suddenly realizes, and this is really awesome to me, Steele figures out that something's not right. And he starts using his brain to override the dream and override Captain America's brain. And at the end of the issue, Captain America wakes up and they're all like, oh, this was dangerous. I told you it was dangerous. 
and John Steele pulls out his IV, stands up and says, I think what you're looking to say is trouble. So it's pretty awesome in terms of setting up this character to be sort of an evil Captain America. Now, the problem is going to come when he actually fully becomes an evil Captain America, because my thoughts on, you know, the Dark Mirror thing are well known. But overall, it's a good story. The art is really, really good. I like the story that's being told here. I like the fact that, unlike other Avengers titles, the story seems to be important because it's being told and not because we're going to tie everything together. The Hood is going to do this, and this is going to tie back to that Illuminati series that I wrote 15 years ago, and then Mockingbird's going to be shot, even though she has her own monthly title. And It's nice to have an Avengers book that is strong on its own merits without having to, you know, without stunting every single month. Yeah. And I'm liking this. You know, this and Avengers Academy kind of rock back and forth as being my favorite Avengers book mm-hmm. every month. And the main reason is not Steve Rogers, woohoo, I love Steve Rogers, and it's not Ed Brubaker is a great writer. It's Ed Brubaker is writing really well in this book. He's doing things that I haven't seen a thousand times before. Yeah, he's a good writer. But a good writer alone doesn't make the book. So I think that three and a half stars overall. Good writing, good art, interesting without being overwhelming. And this team really does have a a fun lineup for me of, you know, 70s uh, recurrent superstars. Cool. So good book. Excellent. Excellent. That was out last week from Marvel Comics. You can check it out at your newsstands. Let's take a look into the future. Two weeks into the future, to be exact. April 13th, I believe, is when this issue comes out. Enforcers number two, Rodrigo. Yes. Enforcers number two, which is from someone. Someone. It's an independent (laughs) book. It is an independent book. Um, It's funny. It's funny, too, because um, I was as I was reading this book, I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then, you know, like flipping through the pages and I was like, wait a minute, I recognize that character. Oh, wow. I actually read Enforcers number one a while back. Oh, you did? Okay. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I don't remember it. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember the characters in it. Um, and the reason why it threw me for a loop is because Enforcers 2 doesn't, isn't a direct follow up. It's like, it starts talking about, um, like it, it starts out with a completely different set of characters and then eventually kind of intersects the plot of Enforcers number one, which was pretty interesting. Um, the book has, it's like, it's a gritty police drama with, um, it's a, it's a gritty police drama with like a, a, a little smattering of sci-fi elements. Oh, okay. Really, it's just that there's, like, sci-fi MacGuffins, kind of. Ah. Um, and it kind of revolves around this weapon that shoots, like, a particle beam or a laser or a condensed sound thing. Um, doesn't really... It's not really that important. Um, so, as we as we go through, we're introduced to the protagonist of this... Uh, of this series, of this particular book... Who is a cool guy with a cool ponytail and an eye patch, um, who shoots some uh, black ops-looking guys in order to find this mystery rifle that shoots particle lasers. Cool. Um, 
And then eventually, that's that's around when the characters from the first book get get involved. Oh, okay. Um, it's pretty interesting. It feels like like the storytelling feels like really seventies crime movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Kind of I exploitation like stuff. I like that stuff. Um, the thing is, and, and the thing that worries me about it is that it doesn't seem that it's at all played for laughs, and sometimes it is somewhat comical. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I don't know. I'll, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that I'm reading it right. The art is fine. I don't have a problem with it. As far as design, I don't know if I'm crazy about a guy who basically looks like Xanatos from Gargoyles, except he has a trench coat and an eye patch. Mm. Um, but it's it's not a huge problem. There's a crazy redheaded lady who likes to kill people, so you got one of those. That's important. <laughs> um. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting, and it's not something that it's uh, that that you see very like that you see all, even all that often nowadays. You know, you first off, you don't see too many crime comics, and second, you don't see right. You know, you don't see this style of storytelling too much. So, so that in and of itself is refreshing. Um, I'm gonna give it three slices of meatloaf, um, okay. and it's by Three JP Comics. Yep. Um. So. I don't know. I would say I would say check it out, and and the best part about it is that you don't need to have read Enforcers number one. Oh, okay. That's to good. get into the story because it's almost entirely a standalone story. If you don't know who the must who the little mustache guy is and the enormous linebacker looking guy are, you don't you don't actually need to know who they are. So, okay. um, yeah, this and this comic is enjoyable in and of itself. Excellent. Thank you, Rodrigo, for that again. Uh, Enforcers number two from 3JP Comics. Comes out April 13th. Um, it's probably going to be a special order if you haven't already pre-ordered it. Okay. Uh, my turn. Mm, I picked up... Comes out sometime this month in April. From uh, Blue Water Productions. Orbit. Howard Stern number one. This is part of... Blue Water Productions biography comics, which they uh, get a lot of hype on. And you know what? I bet these things sell really, really well, especially books like the Justin Bieber comic uh, that they had that actually went uh, into Walmart. They were selling it there. Um, and, you know, they've there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the company about payments and artists and, and just the general quality. And most of these, if not all of these bio comics are unauthorized. Uh, someone brought up this comic on uh, the Howard Stern show uh, a month or so ago. And they were like, hey, Howard, let's talk about this. And he's like, please, let's not. And after reading this issue, I can understand why. Uh, we all have access to this little website called Wikipedia. Um, and we can read and look up Howard Stern there. And basically, that's what this is. It's just a blow-by-blow, point-by-point. Then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's all narrator balloons. There's no dialogue between characters. Um the art is okay, but it's not super great. Um, but it is just a very cut and dried, here are the high points that we need to know about Howard Stern's life. If you've seen the movie Private Parts, and I'm going to bet many of our listeners have, if you know how to surf over to Wikipedia and you know how to uh, uh, look up Howard Stern, if you belong to SiriusXM and you uh, listen to the Howard Stern show, more than likely you've probably heard uh, the history of Howard Stern. You don't need to buy this comic book. It's terribly written, poorly written, 
there, you know, if I just wanted to read nothing but narrator boxes throughout the issue, you know, again, I could go somewhere else and read that. The artist, eh, it's okay. For example, buy one of Howard Stern's books. Yeah, exactly. Buy private parts. Uh, I'm going to give this a one slice of meatloaf review. Really not worth buying. Um, The writer, C.W. Cook, pencils by Kent uh, Herbert or Hurlbert. Um, The art is okay, but it's just not spectacular, which seems to be kind of the way a lot of the uh, Blue Water books kind of go. You know, I do give credit to Blue Water. They do have some interesting titles. This one, unfortunately, is not one of them. Is there, like, is is there, is is Orbit, like, you know, they keep doing all of these famous people? Uh, Yeah, you know, they they have all these different ones. They have Female Force, uh, not to be confused with that other Female Force title that's out there. Uh, They've got Fame, which is looking at people like Bieber and Taylor Swift and Lady Gaga and all these other people. And Uh, Ryan Reynolds now. Yes, Ryan Reynolds. Oh, good Lord. I don't know if you guys have seen the cover art to that. Uh, They've got another one called Political Power that looks at politicians like Sarah Palin and and, um, uh, President Obama. Uh, So, you know, more power to them for doing that and for selling the stuff. But if you're looking for something beyond the glossy outer coat of Howard Stern's life, you're not going to find it in this book. And, And maybe that's my big complaint is maybe because I know more about Howard Stern than what is led on in this book that, uh, to me, it's a waste of time. But for somebody who doesn't know anything about Howard Stern, and I find that hard to believe, uh, this book might be of interest to you, which is why I gave it one one star. So there you go. Yeah. You get you sell a lot of Blue Water books there at uh, Gatekeeper Comics and Hobbies? Um, will I get in trouble if I don't know that we ever actually order any? No, that's fine. I mean, or like that's- the wall? I mean, that's, you know, I think that occasionally I think the Betty, the Betty White showed up on the wall and the Justin Bieber. But yeah, the Bieber sold like, I don't know how many copies, but it sold a lot. Uh, And a lot of that and seeing a lot of that, you're not going to see up in the top 300 rankings that uh, Diamond produces because a lot of those are sold through different distributors. Uh, You know, the deal with the Walmart. Yeah, that deal with the, uh, the bookstores. Oh, speaking of bookstores, some sad, sad news. For fans of the B. Dalton coverage that we have talked about so often on this show, <laughs> the final B. Dalton store closed last night. <gasps> no. Yes. So In now, the far-flung Matt, land of 1995. <laughs> no, the last one closed. I guess there were 50 stores still open up until about the 1st of January, and then they all just started closing. They announced the closing of those stores. So, ah, well, B. Dalton. B. Dalton. Are they offering rebates? Because I have a lot of books. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they're closed. You're not going to be able to go over there. All right. The reviews are done. You can find more reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. And you now, know what uh, what's that, Matthew? The reviews are done. What happens after the reviews are done? It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get that. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. That's incorrect. Yep, Matthew. It's time. Oh, what are we doing again? Oh. No longer am I just a man. The major spoilers, ball of the week, John Williams edition. Even though he was killed outside of Tatooine while Chris Griffin watched, ball of the week. You know, so much of what we talk about uh, usually deals with visual, you know, artists or characters or something like this. And when I go to sleep at night, I listen to 
Sirius or I listen to Pandora or something. And every once in a while, I'll hear a John Williams theme come up. And I started thinking, you know, there are so many John Williams themes and, you know, some of them are really great. Some of them are not so great. And so this week I thought we'd take a, a look and a listen and see who had the better theme song or which uh, theme song that Williams wrote uh, between Superman and Star Wars. All of the week time, it's all of the week time. So that's Superman. I think everybody. Well, you know what? I'm actually. I, I wanted to say I think everyone's familiar with that song, but surprisingly, a lot of people have never heard the Superman theme song. Which maybe mm-hmm. because of the age of the film, or maybe because they're just not familiar with the uh, the music or the character, they haven't heard that one. So that's uh, theme song number one. The other one I think is something I hope everyone has at least heard at some point in their life. Yeah, and I need to cut it off there before we get sued. That's from that Family Guy episode. Yeah, that's from that Family Guy episode, yes. Star Wars. Both songs by John Williams. I mean, John Williams has this huge career, and and this is labeled as part one. I have a feeling down the line we will put uh, more John Williams theme songs up against one another and see how they Let's put him up against Danny Elfman. Well, you know, we could do that too. Um, So, the two songs going up against one another this week. The Superman theme song and the Star Wars theme song, both by John Williams. Which one is the better one, Rodrigo? Go. This this is a this is a tough choice because it, really um, it, it is because uh, and somebody and on the on the comments, people are saying like, "Well, this is a tough choice because uh, they're both the same song." They are, <laughs> and they are they are very similar. Um, you can you can kind of transition in your own mind from one into the other without too many problems. Um, but you know, they're big orchestral themes for movies, so there's only so many places you can go with that anyway. But, in, but, um, you know, growing up, my dad was a big fan of the Superman theme and I would hear it fairly often. And although he was a fan of Star Wars, you know, as a kid, I think I only saw, you know, each movie in the original trilogy, maybe once until mm-hmm. I went out and started like looking, you know, for them on my own. So I was always a lot more aware of the Superman theme. Um, and I think for me, it just kind of, that's kind of what it brings up is, you know, having watched Superman as a kid and not being conscious of the many, 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 many plot issues and effects issues that that movie has. Um, and just kind of enjoying it on a, on a purely, really kind of on a purely aesthetic level. And that includes the theme song. So I, I, despite the fact that I'm a huge Star Wars fan, I had to go with Superman. Okay, Matthew. See, I think back to this time frame, the you know the late seventies, seventy eight, the early, the early seventy eight was for us for Superman, seventy seven for Star Wars. You sure? Because I thought Superman came out in seventy seven, Star Wars in seventy six. Nope. But in any case, I think back to this time frame, and I think about you know what I liked, and for me, it was always Herbie Hancock's Rocket. Which uh, went frit, 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 frit. so I was not necessarily orchestrally inclined during that time frame. Um, listening to them today, I feel like I have 
and it, this may, you know, I, I, I worry about becoming the guy who just goes against whatever the general populace says. But for me, Star Wars doesn't hold up nearly as well, partly because it's been so very prevalent, especially in the last, you know, dozen and a half years. Whereas the Superman theme, was it in Superman Returns? Yeah, they actually got permission to use uh, the whatever the not the melody, but the the main idea of the piece theme yeah the theme yeah you could say that the um dun 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 dun, they could use that the overture yeah the overture yeah 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 for me superman is probably superior right now simply because i i feel like star wars to me is kind of overplayed you hear star wars a lot Mm-hmm. I mean, the entire Star Wars theme was just on the other day. I was watching uh, the Family Guy, actually, and the whole theme played in the opening sequence and the thing. And the it's kind of like you know, it it's like uh, Abbott and Costello's Who's on First routine, right? I love the Who's on First routine. Love it, love it, love it. And I've heard it probably a thousand times in my mm-hmm. life. Yep. And to me, I would rather hear them talk about you know Dizzy Dean and uh, his French Daffy cousin Gouffey Dean. Goufet-Dean. And his French yeah. cousin. Who's that? Gouffey. Gouffey Dean, yes. Gouffey Dean, yeah. I'd rather hear them, you know, going off on stuff that we don't hear beat into the ground. So I think the beaten into the ground portion of it helps for me when I say Superman. Oh, okay. Um, you know, this was a tough one, too. I mean, I, I didn't think that these two would be the two tough ones. I was thinking of some other John Williams songs that will be featured. The in, theme in from Auto Man that he did on yes. later year? Uh, yes, Auto Man. Um, but, you know, I sit there and I start thinking about these two songs, and they are so much a part of something that I can, you know, just know instantly, you know, how the Star Wars theme starts or how the, the Superman theme starts. And, and, you know, and when you listen to that, it it, it kind of does build up to that as, you know, what is the build? And, and the build to me is really important in these two songs. In Star Wars you are being offered a different take on the space genre. And so right away we're being blasted in the face with, this is something different. This is something that you, you, you're not expecting. And so that's what that song does right in your face, right from the very moment. But then the Superman playing quite loudly. Right. And then, but when you listen to the Superman song, it's like something is coming at you from a distance uh, you know, it's 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 just like when you're introduced to Superman. Look up in the sky; it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman, and that's almost how that theme song starts out. It's very quiet. Dun, da, 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 dun, and it's dun, dun, it's like dun. other people around you are realizing that it's Superman, but you haven't caught on to it yet. Right, right. And yeah. then all of a sudden, you look up like. in the sky, right in time for the credit to say Superman. You know, and it's uh, and you know, it's that moment that kind of grabs you, and it's just like, wait a minute. Now, of course. In the theme songs, they they do try to present a many different overtures or many different uh, elements into these pieces. And I think a, a listener had commented, uh, or a reader had commented about the moment in that Star Wars open where you get this little twinkling bit of the um, of space before the the runners come and start firing at one another. Um, but you know, between the two, I think they're really really good. Uh, they're really really good examples of John Williams themes, and I'm surprised. And I'm I'm glad somebody picked up on this so quickly that it is the same th- song or they are the same kind of song because listening to a lot of John Williams theme songs, you'll start to see his pattern and you'll start to see his method behind uh, making things. But in this first round, I went with Superman. It's just something that has that that grabbing moment of, you know, look up in the sky where, as opposed to we're in your face and we're different look because Hollywood said so. 
over there. I do wonder yeah. how much of uh, that style comes from people coming to him and saying, hey, I want you to write something, and it better sound a lot like Star Wars. Well, but see, that's the interesting yeah. thing, too, because in the coming months, we'll be looking at um, Jaws. Stuff. And we'll be looking at Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we'll be looking at 1941, and we'll be looking at John Williams' Olympic theme that he did in, what, 66 or something like that? And Didn't he do The Great Escape? No, 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 no. No, not The Great Escape. I don't think so. Uh, but if he did, I mean, boy, that'd be quite a ways back. But, uh, you know, we do have those, uh, those two songs that are up against the poll this week, and I did get it up early, so a lot of people could comment, a lot of people could vote. And uh, we had some comments from our many readers. Uh, maybe it's just and because, yeah, um, Everon said maybe it's just because of the association with the characters. But it's the Superman theme for me. It just so- sounds somehow inspiring. Uh, Russ Kett says Superman theme. I want to love you, but the Star Wars theme has lived in my iPod for years, and I owe it lo- loyalty. Oh, he says I'm sorry, Superman theme. Oh, okay. And instead, he's going with the uh, Star Wars theme. Uh, T.S. Fogg says, oh man, this was a hard one, but in the end, Superman won. I love them both so very much, but Superman's theme elicits a a far deeper emotional response in me. Star Wars is exciting, but Superman makes my heart soar. Um, So many good comments uh, this week. Star Wars, without a doubt, says Atlantis. It's far more memorable, has penetrated the collective consciousness of the country in a way that only a few other orchestral scores have. It's right up there with the Flight of the Valkyries and Beethoven's Ninth in terms of uh, recognizability. Ride of the Valkyries. Ride of the Valkyries, sorry. Flight of the Bumblebee. Yeah, that's the uh, Green Lantern theme song for everybody who wants to start. Not the Green Lantern. the Green Green Hornet. Hornet. Green Hornet theme song. Dude, Rodrigo jumped in to correct (laughs) you. Oh, no, I was correcting myself before you guys got in on that act. Not according to us. how uh, (laughs) How did the populace vote? 407 spoilerites as of this very second, and a whopping 64% leaning towards the Star Wars theme song. 36%, or roughly, I don't know, 36%, say Superman. And I think, again, part of that is the fact that one is better known, and Steven shows a really ugly picture of the Superman. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't pick any pictures. Oh. Those were embedded, so F you, Matthew Peterson. All right, everybody. That is wow. the poll of the week. We do encourage you to Way head to over kill to MajorSpoilers.com. Uh, no, I think you did that quite shot. well on yourself. Uh, okay, we're going to take this quick <laughs> break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Skull Kickers from Image Comics. Well, guess what? We didn't have any calls this week. Actually, we did have one call. Somebody butt-dialed the Major Spoilers hotline, and I got to listen nice. to nine minutes of them going into a class and talking to students or something. Oh, that may have been me actually yelling at my agents. No, no, no. Calls. It was, it was, it was some. It was somebody was listening to a Critical Hit, and so I heard that and I was like, "Why is somebody recording Critical Hit and putting it on our phone message?" It was the most recent Critical Hit where uh, Orem was talking about feeding, uh, feeding the interns to any kind of entity that jumps out, and then you hear the phone go in the pocket and the <laughs> and the muffled, "Hey, how you doing? Oh, okay, everybody, sit down." <laughs> Went on for ten minutes. That's wow. not what the spa- major Steve, spoilers hotline is there for. You can tell us the truth. It was you. No, uh, I, that the would only be, that person would be that I butt dial. The only person that I butt dial is uh, Rodrigo at uh, <laughs> six o'clock in the morning. Are we talking butt dial or drunk dial? <laughs> hey, 
Rodrigo. It'd be really good to say, hey, let's go and shoot some stuff. We do want your, uh, you know, and what's really friend. odd that we only had the one phone call. Maybe this person filled up our mailbox. It's odd that we had the one phone call because I know people were saying, hey, I've got some thoughts on Skull Kickers that we're talking about this week. And they didn't post a comment on the Major Spoilers website. They didn't send us an email and they didn't call the Major Spoilers hotline. Maybe it's because they forgot the Major Spoilers hotline phone number. Matthew, let's repeat that for them. Seven, eight, five, seven, two, seven, one, nine. Three, nine. Now, that I number realize, again. Yes, I realize seven, that people eight, don't always get five. their stuff right away. So grab a pencil and Matthew will repeat. Seven, eight, five, seven, two, seven, one, nine, three, nine. It, it's, it's really not hard to remember. You think of it this way. Seven, if you'd eight, like five. to make a call, <laughs> please hang up and dial again. Seven, eight, five is the area code for most of the northern half of Kansas. 727 is the uh, prefix for Lawrence, Kansas, the city I want to move the major spoilers HQ to eventually. And 1939. Duh, I think everybody knows what 1939. Absolutely. That was the year uh, that uh, Michael Jackson's haircut. No, yeah, wait. Exactly. That was the year of the moon landing. Yes, exactly. It was the year that a man was being in trouble. No matter what year it is, if you play categories, somebody will land on the moon, Michael Jackson will catch fire in an accident, and someone will shoot John F. Kennedy. Doesn't matter. The year could be 1066, and people will try and put those answers in. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> people are stupid. <laughs> or, or maybe it's just my friends. I don't know. <laughs> In the year 2525. <laughs> Somebody assassinated Triple Jackson Kansas on fire. Wasn't that the year that Cactus Jack wrestled Triple H to a standstill in a steel cage? You know what? Probably. Critical hit is a runaway hit uh, when it comes to uh, Dungeons and Dragons or gaming podcasts. So appreciative. Speaking of, of non sequiturs. Just moving along. Uh, and so there seems to be kind of a, I don't know, Rodrigo, are you a big fan of that kind of fantasy storytelling? Oh, certainly not. Okay. Well, there's <laughs> which is, which is, I think why people like critical hit. Well, but you know, you can be, you can be yeah. in that realm, <laughs> you can be in that realm and, you know, appreciate it, but not love it, love it. Right. Uh, no, I mean, I, 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 I. You know, approach Critical Hit with the same uh, fury and loathing that I approach any sort of fantasy work that I'm involved in. Okay. Uh, Matthew, what about you? Are you high fantasy lover or what kind of... Uh... No, no, not even a little bit. I, I honestly have... When I was very young, a friend of mine was trying to get me to read real literature. And among the things that he said I had to read was the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have to read them in order. I'm like, okay, I have to read them in order. I'm a comic guy. I know how this works. You start with issue one. So I read the Silmarillion <laughs> over bad the place. course of about 17 years. Yeah, bad place to start. <laughs> yeah, and I got about three quarters of the way through it in 17 years. <laughs> and occasionally I'd check ahead and, it, you know, I, I would be like, okay, what's going on? Oh, they're walking, they're walking, they're walking, they're walking. Tom Bombadil. Well, that was bull crap. They're walking, they're walking. And so I never got the, you know, I never got the, the base for it. You know, I would rather see a good, like, futuristic dystopia with OMAC flying around in a giant satellite and pew, pew, pew. So I'm not really a high fantasy guy. Okay. Well, uh, Skull Kickers, which is our trade paperback this week, kind of takes place during this, in this realm of monsters and magic and, and fantasy. 
Although we probably can't call it Monsters and Magic. Uh, where we meet Space, up with Spaces two... and Monsters is uh, copyright Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to trip out and kill everybody. Uh, two nameless mercenaries. Oh, the two are, towers! The two towers! Are trying to make their way in this town, make their way in the life. They've been basically... Uh, somewhat higher, but not always uh, on uh, on record to kill monsters in this village and get paid for doing it. Uh, and then it wraps, uh, then it winds up into some big, big uh, adventure. Rodrigo, why don't you uh, fill us in on the story of this Skull Kickers? Right. So Skull Kickers, although they don't necessarily, well, they're not called the Skull Kickers, right. except kind of as a, as a, as a brief reference. Um... Basically, it's these two guys. They're nameless, um, although they I do kind of. I call them uh, Baldoni and Goldfarb. They do. They do kind of end up. I think within the book, referring to like other people end up referring to them as Shorty and Baldy, right? Um, or maybe that was just in the in between chapter stuff. Um, it's a dwarf and a really tall human guy. The dwarf is big on axes. Well, he's not big. Um, all around, but he likes axes. Um, and the human guy has a revolver. And, you know, we were introduced to them as they're trying to break up this werewolf cult. And, you know, like, I think on the first panel, we see them fighting a freaking werewolf. Yeah. And they end up kind of blowing it away. And then they land the killer blow by sticking a silver spoon in its face. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, I go to the town constable, and they're like, yes, we defeated the werewolf. And he's like, yeah, there was nothing there but a pile of ash. Uh, I'm not paying you. Yeah. <laughs> and that and that really sets the tone for the whole book. I ain't gonna prove nothing. <laughs> now, when this book, when the first issue was originally reviewed up on Major Spoilers, I don't think that it was given a lot of high marks for a couple of different reasons. One of the reasons I remember quite uh, quite clearly was the reviewer didn't like the fact that these guys didn't have names, that they went nameless throughout this entire first issue, and actually throughout this first trade paperback that we're uh, reviewing today. Is that really a big issue? Do you need to know these characters' names? Do they need to say, Rodrigo, how are you today? And Matthew, over there, how are you as well? Hey, Matthew, what's going on today? Rodrigo, what do you think? Um... It's, uh, I'm sorry, were you actually throwing it at me, or was this still part of the example? <laughs> the last time um, yes. I was thrown at yes, you. Yes, yes, uh, Okay, all right. I, I getcha. Um, I don't have a problem with it. The only issue that I have with it is that I do feel that you got to give your audience a way to talk about your characters, mm -hmm. you know? Because you can say the dwarf and the human, but there's a bunch of humans. You know, you can say Shorty and Baldy, which I think is something that the creators themselves put forth so that people could talk about them. This is actually something that happens every once in a while in, in role-playing games as well, where somebody's like, I want my character to be totally mysterious. I want him to be the man with no name. So he shows up and they're like, what's your name? I can't tell you. So, of course, the, the jerkiest jerk in the game is like, okay, well, your name is now Pigeon Hat. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never forgive me for calling her Missy, will you? Ooh, the what? Queen's Rebellion. I like the nickname Missy. I don't think she cares for it very much, though. Uh, uh, towards the end of this issue, a, uh, a big wig arrives in town and is promptly assassinated. And the, uh, <laughs> that's a different discussion. Um, and the mercenaries are basically 
hire themselves out to retrieve the body from the uh, from the uh, dead body place and get it back to the uh, the lords and and the. Uh, <laughs> it's not really a morgue. Uh, um, it's a dead body place. It's where it's we keep the dead bodies. And so they agree to get the body back and and retrieve it for the uh, for oh, the people. Oh, he's dead. Oh no. So they can take him back and bury him in proper uh, style, and they stumble upon a body snatching ring. And then that leads on to uh, one adventure after Warf. another, where there's a yeah. mad, what is he, a wizard, a warlock, who is trying to steal essences he's, from people's bodies. He's a magic-y dude, and you know, that's kind of his thing. I, I have to say that the lack of names... Mm-hmm. didn't necessarily bother me so much as the lack of anybody really having a name. You know, it, there's a lot of cool action and there's, you know, there's nice set pieces, but the guy with the band-aids on his eyes, I'm not sure if he has a name. Yeah. We just know him as this warlock. I don't think he does. Yeah. And, um, the girl who, you know, the, the elven archer girl or the archer girl who runs around, I don't know her name. Right. You know, it's, it's not necessarily that it's bad. I mean, there's kind of a, a fever pitch. There's a, a, a running pace throughout this whole first arc that really works. If you're trying to evoke a really good D and D session, one that's going really fast or, you know, trying to evoke something that's not. And then they walked and then they walked and then they really walked and walked and walked. There you, you go. Know, From I, Matthew Peterson, Skull Kickers, better than the Salmarillion. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Put that on your trade paperback and smoke it. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I like the pacing. There are some questions that I have from, you know, panel one that never really get addressed, and they manage to kind of slip past them. Such as? You know, the, anach- the anachronism of that handgun. Yeah. I want to know what's up with that. And. As far as you know, that kind of a weapon does, being around in, in this time period? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. And does he have an artificial hand? Because it looks like he has a steel hand. I was you I know, was wondering about the I was wondering about the gun too. And Rodrigo, do you have any thoughts or ideas on that? Um, I think because I was I I've seen the the issues floating around and I remember I think in the back of one of them, they were answering questions and, and, and people had written in and were like, hey, what's the deal with the gun? And how come he's the only one who has a gun? And they were like, oh, we'll be revealed later. Keep Ooh. buying our comic. Um, so Which is I, a perfectly legit answer question. Sure it is. Sure it, it is. is. Um, and, and hopefully there will be some exploration. And I'm guessing that there will be probably in the same way that we... St- that we see explanations for other things on, on the very last handful of, of stories that we see. Mm-hmm. Yep. I will say this. This will be the wow nerd coming out. Um, in the in the world of Dungeons & Dragons, at least the way we've been playing it, there are not those kind of weapons present. There are not guns present. But in World of Warcraft, when you play, there are hunter. There's the hunter class, and they have rifles, and they have guns uh, to fire things. And it's always kind of bothered me to have that kind of mixed in but of course, now they've got motorcycles and flying, you know, airplanes essentially in World of Warcraft. So, you know, I think maybe it's to the point where some people will let the gun go by. But like you, Matthew, I was kind of like a gun, really? Okay, mm-hmm. let's see where this well, goes. 
and and the thing is, a gun is something that you eventually, I I feel, have to explain because, as we now know from the fact that you know, no army uses you know chooses to use a, a machete over a gun. Right. Um, guns are better in a fight. You know, mm-hmm. you can kill someone from ten paces instead of from up in their face. Mm-hmm. Um, or up in their faces if you really wanted to rhyme. So, you know, it's, it is something that, and, and, you know, I don't know if WoW explains it at all. No, no, Um, as far as I know, if you get, if, if you get into things where like, you know, the only kind of guns that are around are these like flintlock Mm -hmm. rifles that you have to like load and whatever, or like single shot guns, like in Pirates of the Caribbean, Mm -hmm. in Pirates of the Caribbean is fine because all the guns fire once and then you have to fight with a sword. right? Right. So that's fine. That's not a, that's not a big deal. But if guns are available, why would anybody cho- choose to use a bow or a sword or anything else? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, the gun thing. actually does come into play because they do break into this castle of the uh, of the warlock uh, guy who's trying to raise the dead or trying to capture the spirits of the dead and basically has a zombie army. And he's doing it by stabbing this magical blade into the bodies. Well, the dwarf gets captured, uh, is about to be stabbed to death, but the gun goes, you know, the, the baldy shoots the gun, deflects the, the, the blade, so it goes into the dwarf's leg. And the dwarf, uh, he seems to be fine, except his leg is then being able to be controlled by the warlock, essentially. You know, if the warlock says mm-hmm. kick, it will kick. If the, uh, you know, and, and so there's there's some funny business. I mean, and there's some literal haha funny moments that appear in this issue. Um in the way that the story is told, either through the discussion that they these two characters have with the constable of the uh, of the village or the um, the head uh, security person of the village, um, all the way down to moments like uh, when the warlock uh, gets shot in the face, and every time he speaks through the rest of the issue, in the word balloons, it's all garbledy gook, and then you see the translation as if you were reading the uh, you know a translation on movies, which I found humorous. Right, the subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the uh, the sound effects too, which uh, play a big role in this piece. Or the yeah, actions. the sound effects. Yeah, the sound effects are are are, are funny. And at first, I was like, because because this is this is something that I'd seen before, and I, I I'm trying to think where it was. I think Incredible it might have Hercules. Incredible Hercules. I think it was. That's where I've seen this before. I, I I'm pretty sure that in uh oh what is it, the one with the girl whose costume gets torn up all the time. Empowered. Empowered. I think in Empowered they have sound effects like that too, and I think that's maybe where I first saw them. Mm, okay. But yeah, basically, when when they pull out a weapon, you know, you don't the the sound effect is not like chick of of the you know like the weapon. Going mm-hmm. against the scabbard, like the sound effect is actually like weapon ready or, you know, pull or mm-hmm. like it's just some word that is not in any way an onomatopoeia. Right. Well, yeah, the even giant the fact creature soul sucks out somebody's soul and the sound effect goes soul suck. Yeah, yeah. Or the blade is coming down and it says incoming death or when the leg is being controlled, it literally says ass kick whenever he's getting kicked in the ass. Uh, so Skull I, I, kick. I like the and well see that's the that's kind of the thing in where we get this uh title of the skull kickers um the uh they shoot this crystal off the warlock's chest or they destroy it 
And the warlock's like, no, you don't understand. I made a deal with a demon, and I've been using a small portion of his power, but I've been keeping it contained to keep my soul from being sucked away. And now you've got to raise the demon. Uh. And this giant demon comes out of the ground, and all of these undead bodies essentially form into this giant, uh, uh, this giant monster that then starts to approach the the village, including the dwarf's leg. Yes, including the dwarf's un- undead leg, and uh, just so happens to be at the base of the skull. And there's a big fight, fighty fight ensues. And I think there are some, you know, there are some funny moments. I mean, the the whole um, uh, title of the. Um, of the trade paperback is a thousand opas and a do- dead body. They're sent to recover this body of this, I guess, what is he, a prince or somebody of importance that's killed in the like first that. issue. And I he's a regent. And, you know, Baldy comes back into town and is like, okay, give me my money. Give me my money. And they're like, oh, uh, you want the money now? How about we defeat this creature? He's like, no, give me my money. <coughs> and, uh, and they're like, okay, go fetch stomp. You know, then the, the monster steps on the, on the, uh, the guy that they, he, they were working for, and he's like, well, there goes that plan. Let's fight the monster. What did you think of this uh, fight scene towards the end? Or at the end? It's interesting. It, uh, when you when it comes to comic books, there are a couple of things that they can do that no other art form can. You don't have to spend $50,000 on the giant thing. Mm-hmm. The guy just draws it. So I like the scale of it. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that, you know, we, during the fight scene, we find out that, uh, that, uh, I don't know, we'll call him Erwin. <laughs> the the dwarf. dwarf is not actually dead. It, early in the issue, he's sucked up, and, and then we actually find out during the fight scene that only his leg has been sucked up, right. and that he's hanging off the creature's neck, which I think right. is brilliant. Yeah. Meanwhile, Baldovich is out there, you know, shooting and krakowing and shooting and krakowing. And I like the way it breaks down because he thinks his friend is dead. And there's, a, you know, there's a bit where it's obvious that you know, his friend being dead is a problem, but also, you know, I've got to go kill some things now. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's the dwarf who gets in that final shot, uh, the eponymous kick. final shot, if you will, <laughs> complete horrendous brain damage, which I think is the greatest sound effect since Thunder God. Yeah. Mm. And they destroy the creature, and, you know, that's kind of how that first major story arc ends. Now, there's also, um, eh, there was another issue that came out, and we got to read these in the individual issue issues. Yeah, we got to read these in the individual issues, just because Image sent them to us as, as reviews, and so we were aware of this, uh, this entire like time. Image we do like Image. Review. Um, there was a, uh, that, that sixth issue is really just a bunch of short stories, and to be honest, didn't read it. Um, wasn't interested in these short stories, which really didn't appear to have much of a connection to any major story arc. Um, they're, except for maybe that bit about the, the, except for maybe the bit about the gun. They're, they're deepening the characters. And I like what that issue did in that it's obviously, and they, you know, they, as much as admit it, this issue is an anthology mm-hmm. with different creators so that we can get caught up and, you know, get that next big arc of Skull Kickers where they explain the gun and give you the name. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, I like the different takes on the characters because, in a way, seeing how a character translates under a different artist or in a different, you know, genre 
a different style of art is one of the ways that I can tell whether a character is going to be successful. That's one of the reasons to me why Warlock will never be as cool as he was when Bill Sankovich was drawing him in New Mutants. Mm -hmm. No one else can draw him except maybe Art Adams in a way that makes me care. And, you know, having different artists really shows that the character design is strong enough to transition. You know, one story has kind of a cartoony, I, I hesitate to say manga style, and one kind of reminds me of Eric Powell's work on The Goon. Mm-hmm. You know, the first one, uh, I believe, is by Joe Viernes, Viernes. But, you know, you go through the issues and you can see the characters making sense under different writers in different, you know, places drawn different ways. And I think that's, that's going to tell whether or not this series actually is going to make it in the long haul. The fact that they transition well bodes well for the series going on and on. So what did you guys think of this story arc as far as the storytelling, the humor, the interactions, the interplay, the, you know, the plot and the pacing? What did you guys think of, of that portion of, of that, those first five issues? Matthew? With something that, you know, and I believe our reviewer said that issue one was kind of familiar and by the numbers. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was intentional. With a story like this, there's two ways you can go. You can go the Rodrigo route and make it all completely, you know, whole cloth and try to make it as super awesome as possible and try to make it different from everything. Or you can embrace the fact that it's a genre piece. Mm-hmm. You can embrace it's a cowboy movie. It's a night movie. It's a space movie. Or in this case, it's a fantasy tale about a guy with an axe. Right. And you can play with that. I think that the story itself isn't necessarily the point. The character interaction, you know, the skull kickers themselves are the point of this. And I think the characters are strong enough, at least in this first arc, to pull it off. Even though we may have seen, you know, uh, evil villain raises a giant thing and the good guys have to stop it. Mm-hmm. We've seen that before. Yeah. You're going to see that again, you know, probably by the end of the week. I feel like the characterization and the art as well were strong enough to make this at least feel like it feels different than any other take on this similar story that I've read. Rodrigo. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I like the, I like the pace of it. I like that they kept it pretty fast. Um, at times it seemed that they were mostly just doing stuff to get jokes in. Right. But, uh, you know, there's, there's enough plot seeds in there to, to, to keep my interest. You know, I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to read a, a comic that was all just a bunch of D and D jokes mm-hmm. necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I have other comics for that and mm-hmm. I'm glad that this wasn't that it, that it did have and all the action and funny sound effects and, and zombie legs that it actually had, you know, legitimate story written into it. And, and, and I was, I was a fan of that. I, I really like the humor and how they used humor, not just I mean, this is a funny series. Uh, I don't think it's supposed to be the, you know, the roll on the floor laughing every moment uh, type of series. But I did appreciate how the humor was interwoven with the story. I like the pacing of the story. And Matthew, as you said, it's it's a little bit by the numbers in the way that, you know, here's how we go from point A to point B and, and turn these two guys into uh, the town heroes. Um you know, I I like the fact that they're they are trying to mix in um, some of the the fantasy elements like the goblins and the zombies and the giant monsters attacking the town. I mean, I really really like all of that stuff. Um, I I do kind of wish that 
we had some names of just even some of the ancillary characters so that as people are having a discussion, we can say something a little bit more than the elfy assassin girl and the uh, blinded warlock monster dude. Um, hey, come on. You know we're terrible at remembering characters' names anyway. <laughs> I, I'm terrible at names, uh, period. So, uh, if, if we had their names, we would end up calling them, you know, Jake Baldi, and Steve Baldi anyway. Yeah, yeah Baldy and the short guy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that would be my only complaint as far as the writing goes. But I did like... I, I did like this story, and, and you know, a lot of times with me, um, it, it takes a while for me to get into a series because I just want to say, I don't want to read a new number one issue. It do, it sounds like something I've read a hundred times before, just like Chew, just like, you know, a number of other things. And then suddenly someone says, no, really read it, in this case, reviewing it for the show, and I end up enjoying it. And we'll probably continue to read uh, the, uh, uh, continue to read the adventures as they come out. What about the art? Rodrigo, what did you think of this art? I mean, this is um, this is not something that you traditionally see in normal, everyday comic books. Right. Um, a lot of it is by this guy named Chris Stevens. And I'm a big fan of Chris Stevens. If you go to his mm-hmm. DeviantArt page, I think his handle is Chris2D. Um, there are He does a lot of Marvel and DC commissions, like just people being like, hey, can you draw... Emma Frost, yeah, <laughs> uh, sitting on uh, something. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. You know, I don't. I don't care what she's sitting on. Um, he and, draw and Emma his, Frost on the kitchen table, and she has a box of fruity puffy wheats, and she's saying, yep. "Come to dinner," and like that. Yep. Can you draw Emma Frost, and she's driving a race car, but she's just driving it like from far away so I can see her. Um, can you like draw June Cleaver in her underwear, like <laughs> ironing with her pearls on? Um, anyway, he, uh, <laughs> he's really good. And he's actually drawn like made like kind of schematic drawings for like, uh, statues and stuff. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. For like statuettes for Star Wars and other things, so he's actually really good. Um, and I really like I really like his art. Although I don't terribly love the character design of the characters in Skull Kickers, I still think that the art is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem that I had with it, to a large degree, was the coloring. Oh, really? Okay. Be- yeah, because it seems that a lot of the coloring was just kind of relatively flat. Although there was some gradient in there, light, like lighted stuff. And then there's really sharp, darker shadow on everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not so much that that in and of itself is a problem, but some of the choices of where that was applied, like the dwarves beard has these, it's basically like a single unit with some lines coming out of the face to to Mm -hmm. kind of simulate where the, where the beard ruffles and stuff. Right. But the way that it was colored makes it look like it's hard, like it's made out of plastic. Mm. Sometimes, you know, just having that hard line in like next to every single line makes it look like literally there are like wooden blocks that go into his face. Right, right. I see what Um, you're saying there. And that and that comes up here and there. And, you know, as I read the book, it became less and less of an issue. And I think. If stuff isn't happening at night is, again, not as much of an issue, but I wasn't crazy about that that shading style. 
I, I really like the coloring in terms of the lighting effect and the fact that they were really trying to at least make a very good attempt at making sure that the light was coming from the right angle when they applied their shading. Yeah. So if it's a static yeah, that is with important. this magical knife, the the knife is the point of light. And when you look at everything else in that panel or in that scene, everything else, all the shadows and, and, and everything in the light uh, interaction with the environment comes from that blade. And that's what I really, really like. Of course, I'm a big fan of taking the uh, the dark blues of night and mixing it with the oranges of, of a fire or a torch or something like that. Uh, that's issue two has a lot of that going on where we go yeah. from a night scene to a fire scene to a morning yep. scene yep. to a scene where it's cloudy. And the, I mean, the full daylight and a cloudy day have a different, you know, feel to them, which is mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, I really like the, uh, the coloring in this issue and I, and I like the art too. Uh, it's a kind of that cartoony style that I appreciate in my, uh, my cartoony books. Matthew, anything else to add as far as the art goes? Not really. I think that the art is really charming and it's really strong to the point where it, I wasn't necessarily aware of the art. It felt like, you know, in places it felt like really strong animation mm-hmm. to where the characters are moving and, you know, it's not like it's not like a computer rendered thing, but you never become aware of the art. It, it's not something that you have to go, oh, wow, that that was a really weird angle. I need to figure out how that worked. Right. The art is it comes across as pretty effortless throughout. Okay, bottom line then for everybody. Um, give me a summary final thoughts of the issue as well as do you recommend somebody pick this up? Do you recommend they check it out from the library or do they skip it completely? Matthew. I'm Matthew and I approve of this hilarity. I think that going into it expecting what you expect is problematic because I expected, you know, that kind of high fantasy, you know, light adventure, la da da kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was really undermined. You know, it's a strong, it's kind of, it's got elements of a buddy comedy. It's got elements of adventure story that doesn't necessarily have to have a sword and sorcery in it. If you like your swords without sorcery, this is probably not the way to go, but <laughs> I'd say at least check it out. I'd check it out at the library, the okay. library, if you will, okay. if you're, you know, if you're from Kansas like me, but it's interesting, and I I did like it. I would give it a more positive than negative review. All right, Rodrigo. Oh, we lost Rodrigo. I, I wasn't paying attention. Rodrigo is so gone much as he dropped off in the ether somewhere. There's Rodrigo. Stop. I know internet. Ah, the internets. Rodrigo, some final thoughts now on this uh, this issue. Feel my pain. Um, final thoughts on Skull Kickers. If you want fantasy, but you're tired of the these and thous and sassy elves and I don't know, um, not guns, then Mm -hmm. Skull Kickers is probably going to be for you. The art is good. The dialogue is quick and witty. Um, and no single element of it draws too much attention to itself, which is probably what I like the most about it. Mm-hmm. I just enjoyed it all around. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed that they played off one another and you could tell that they really cared for one another without coming out and saying, Oh, I love you, man. No, oh, I love you, man. Get your hand off my beer. Um, I, I like that aspect of it. Really love the art. Thought it was really good. I will probably continue to read this series. 
uh, as it comes out. And I'm going to say if you are somebody that is into, um, you know, the fantasy role-playing adventure games, you know, as long as you can take a few pokes here and there, I think you'll enjoy it. So I say go out and pick it up. At least try this first trade. That's one of the nice things about collected trades. You can just pick them up and read it. If you don't like it, I'm sure your local library will accept it as a donation, or you could sell it on eBay or sell it back or or do whatever you want with it. But I say pick it up, read it, and uh, and enjoy it. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time this week or today. You're welcome, Stephen. We enjoyed being here. And that wraps it up. Hello, my name is Stephen, and this is a hot dog. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers Experience. Thank you to everybody who is already uh, making uh, recurring donations to the Major Spoilers cause. That helps us do more great things, because we know that you love comics, and we do too. And tune in next week when we talk about uh, another great title, which I forget off the top of my head. Why? <laughs> Because that's what we do. We'll talk with you soon. We forget things, but then talk about them anyway. And we'll see you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. If I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being the Middle East With a king santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler This has been a Major Spoilers podcast Copyright 2011 Goodbye See you on the next show